welcome to Roughly a Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boy, joined by my co-host in his car right now, eluding the the trash banging that's happening. He's uh, now a member of the Houston Astros. That's right, right? That's right. I mean, I was I was telling you in the in the office, so like I I don't know if like we're at the stages of our career where like 30 year old we're 30 so a lot of our friends have now like been promoted into positions where they have offices right mm-hmm. like and they're no longer in like the in the bullpen as so to speak like they're they have their own little office or whatever my office is the shittiest office of all time it is just like constant chaos going on outside the door and this this is a this is just a fact of life at, at restaurants right that like office space is useless because it could be table space yeah so that's that is the rule at a restaurant you have to make your office as small as humanly <laughs> possible because like it, it's true every every square foot that you take away from or that you put into an office is square footage that you could use somewhere else it's so you may, so the office is always super cramped and super small and yeah so another thing the bear got right in its depiction of a, of a restaurant Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the show you still won't watch. Um, I won't watch it. So I'm assuming it got it right. But yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the Mariners. First of all, I kind of love All-Star Week for two reasons. One, it's fun. There's a lot going on. Two, like actual baseball slows down so that if we have to bump our podcast by a day, it doesn't matter. Nothing yeah. like substantially Nothing changed. changed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we are talking about the same slate of things as we would have if we had talked yesterday. And if we had talked yesterday, we would have talked a lot at the beginning of this about uh, the burbling noise of the the Shohei to Seattle rumors. Um, there's the, the there's a lot of things that happened. There was the 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 shrug heard around the world where Dave freaking Softy Mueller <laughs> had <Yeah. laughs> the, the hard hitting journalism to ask him what he thought about playing here. He laughed and shrugged. Then Dave said, uh, "You're not saying well, no." So did I don't know who that woman was, but I'm assuming it was one of Otani's handlers. But I, she I, was like, I she was so. pissed. Yes. She was pissed that he kept asking. But also, like, she had to have expected that to happen. But anyways, yeah. he gave another less enthusiastic shrug. And then yesterday during the All Star Game, there was a a come to Seattle chant that was happening. He said he loves playing here. He spent summers here, assumingly at Driveline. Um, we're barreling towards a scenario where it's all about the money. And if the money works, this yep. might this thing might happen. And that is John <laughs> Stanton's worst nightmare. Yes. I, I know I know what he's thinking in his head is that now he doesn't have the excuse of, well, you know, Otani wanted X, Y, or Z. He wanted to be you know, on the, in LA or he wanted to be whatever. Otani's pretty much made it clear that like Seattle is a possible destination for him, whether or not he said as much, he has alluded to the fact that we're on the table. It's not like we're the Milwaukee Brewers here, right? We're not the, you know, we're a place where he just has no interest. He doesn't want to go to Milwaukee. Milwaukee's not going to pay the money, whatever that, that place is off the table or Pittsburgh or something like that. So now it truly does come down to the money, which means it comes down to John Stanton, which means it's a no go. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I say fun. that happens. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah. so there, there is the um, the case to be made though that the M's have basically sat out the last two off seasons with the big 
heavy hitting contracts um, in 2022 and, and or heading into 2021, heading into 22 or heading into 2022, heading into 2023, coming off of 91 seasons so that they would have enough in the coffers to make an enticing offer at Otani. And if that's the case, then yeah, this was all, you know, a massive plan. And if you're going to spend money on any insane free agent is might as well be the one that plays two positions and is an international superstar. So We'll see. This is not going to go away. And I think you and I both agree that if you're a Mariners fan, you do not want you want Shohei Otani to be in an Angels uniform on August 1st. Absolutely. You have to want that because otherwise you're I mean, we're nightmare scenario is you never even get the shot. Right. Mm -hmm. He gets traded somewhere and that team has the exclusive negotiating window and they manage to bag him before he goes to free agency with something like, like we talked about on the last podcast, 12 years, 600 million, 12 years, 650, something along those lines. That is the nightmare scenario there. Yeah. And I saw somebody speculate eight for five sixty as, as the deal. So like this number is going to be fucking crazy. Like we know that, but that, that we saw, like, I don't know if the Mariners would have signed, been able to sign Luis Castillo in free agency if they did not trade for him. Wait, hold on. I just want to do the math on that. Eight for five sixty. <laughs> that's seventy million dollars a year. Correct. Correct. But again, that's 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 fair market given that yeah. that's like coal plus trout. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's just so funny because it would like almost double the highest average annual value per year. Yeah. Well, what's also been kind of interesting, and I don't know their names, but we saw a guy pitching the all-star game yesterday, Michael Lorenzen, who's a former two-way player. Um, but there have been a lot more two-way players drafted in the MLB, mm. which is interesting. And obviously, like if you're, you know, reading the tea leaves, it's kind of like if your kid plays football and it's like, well, should I be a running back or should he be a running back or a receiver? You see the way things are going. It's like, <laughs> you better get the jugs machine, baby. Like, like, yeah, we, yeah. we need to start catching passes and that, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's obviously much easier said than done, but um, this idea of a guy who can save you a roster spot and be a plus player, not not even Shohei level, but a plus player at two positions is is huge. Um, our third thirtieth overall pick, Ty Pete. Uh, yeah, there is there is speculation that he may be a two way player, but it seems as though the the pitching part of that is is very very much up in question. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. And we'll talk about Ty Pete and the rest of the Mariners draft picks in just a bit. That's a great segue as we head into this week, but uh, we certainly will be talking more about Shohei Otani and uh, just praying that the that he <laughs> does not get traded. And even if he gets traded to the Mariners, like then for one, you have to sign him. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Otherwise, it was a colossal failure, and you just traded your entire farm system. And I think that's why teams will like even if the Angels don't want to trade him. I don't know if any team can take that risk, you know, to, to yeah, no. completely gut out their, their farm system for, for three months. For potentially a couple months. Yeah. I think you're right. I think Otani is in an, in like a zone where he cannot be traded because the angels are going to demand a King's ransom and nobody is going to give the King's ransom knowing that they, it, it could only be two months. I don't know how baseball tampering and all that stuff works. I'm not sure you're able to say this deal is contingent on, you know, yeah, a, a long-term signing. I don't think that's possible in baseball. So I, I'm, I just I'm sure you could get signals, you know, like, like yeah. in, indicators, but, but, you know, that doesn't even guarantee anything. Like what if, what if San Diego trades for him? They really can't, they gave everything to get Soto, but just say, mm-hmm. and then he, it's a miserable two months. Like, in, yeah. and, and, but they got indicators that he would sign there in the first place. Like you just, 
it's such don't, yeah, a risk. I don't I don't think he moves. I, I really don't think he moves at the deadline. Yeah, I don't think so either. Just knowing already Moreno, knowing how the Angels have operated, I think he's just going to be an angel until the end of the year. He will die on the vine. He won't die on the vine, but the angels the angels will die around him. Well, they'll get a first. They'll get a first round pick uh, at the end of the first round. I know totally. that's like absolutely nothing for a comparatively yes. a but, first round uh, pick that they will rush to the majors instantly. Yeah. That's just all they know how to do. Um, in other non Shohei news, the Mariners beat the Astros three games to uh, three. Took three out of four against the Astros. They had a chance to sweep, man. They really did, and that would have been yeah. fucking dynamite heading into this this All Star break. But they did not. Uh, my first note about this series is that Houston is a carcass of itself, especially yes. offensively. I mean, obviously, some of that's going to turn around. Yeah. Jordan's going to come back. Um, Altuve. Jose Altuve. Yeah. But I'm not even sure Altuve is that guy anymore. Like, he is old now. He is firmly in the old category. Alex Bregman, there's rumors. There's rumors floating around that he is washed. Yeah, I mean, he does not scare you nearly as much as he no. did the two, three years ago. And Kyle Tucker has been very good this year, but he has not been last year's version of Kyle Tucker. And you can pitch um, around him. You can totally yeah. pitch around Kyle Tucker, just nibble. And Jeremy Pena is good. There's no doubt about it. He's good. Yeah. But again, he's not superstar, right? Like you're used to Houston being up and down the lineup superstars. Jose Abreu is on probably the worst contract in Major League Baseball at this mm-hmm. point, three years, 60 million. Um, Rafael Montero's on a terrible contract. He is absolutely struggling. Uh, Lance McCullers, who knows it? They resend Brantley. They resend Brantley. He has not played yeah. barely at all this year. Um, Lance, and... Lance McCullers is probably n- never going to come back to what he was. Christian Javier is not the pitcher that they thought he was going to be. The only guy that's really gone right for them consistently is Framber. And yeah. yeah, he's good, but he's one out of five pitchers. And no, Houston has problems. Houston, we have a problem. Um, <laughs> They they it's, scored they scored six runs in the series in four games. Two of them were on Martin Maldonado solo homers. Who's Martin is hitting somewhere like a buck fifty. Yeah, no, Martin's terrible. He just <laughs> always manages to like kill us for some yeah. reason. But, but the Mariners, the Mariners yeah. did their part in the series. George Kirby, Luis Castillo, Brian Wu, and Logan Gilbert go twenty six and two thirds innings, walk two total batters in that time, and give up three earned runs. Uh, the M starters struck out just 16 guys. That's a, that's a theme I'll talk about a little bit later, but not too surprising. It's Houston who doesn't strike out like this. This starting rotation is, is um, not in a fluky way. They just, they're not, they're not like the strikeout team. They're, they just get you out yeah. in different ways. Weak contact. Yeah. I mean, it, it, which is interesting because, you know, when you go into the year with these guys, you have this huge stuff with Castillo and, Obviously, Bryce Miller has huge stuff, but he didn't pitch. Brian Wu has huge stuff. And then to only have the 16 strikeouts, it is puzzling. But again, like you said, Houston is, you know, pretty stingy when it comes to giving up the strikeout. The draft also happened. And, uh, you know, Phil, the thing about high school hitters, I keep getting older and they stay the same age, baby. (laughs) That's, uh, uh, you know, what's funny about you saying that. Walter Ford reminds me so much of Matthew McConaughey in that movie. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, yeah. It probably idolizes whatever. I was going to say Dirk Diggler. That's not correct. Um, no, that's Boogie Nights. Yes. Also a great movie. Um, mm-hmm. Four of the Mariners' first six picks were high school hitters. We'll talk about them a little bit later. Philosophically, why do you think this shift to just taking high school hitters has has happened the way it has with the Mariners organization? 
uh, horizon, time horizon. I think they're, you know, looking at a longer scope now that the team at the major league level is competitive and winning yeah. games. And you can argue about how competitive the team is, but they are, you know, they have a solid core in place for the next five, six years that affords you more time instead of having to go out and get college hitters who are more close and college hitters are generally speaking more of a safe pick. I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, but generally speaking, you know what you're going to get a little bit more with the college player. Um, High school kids are a little bit more volatile, but obviously have the huge upside that is commensurate with that volatility. Um, So I think it's just a combination of the team being a little bit more in a place where they're comfortable because they have a good current core going out and saying, okay, we can take these risks. And if it flops, you know, we can recover from that. And, but it is funny because you, you look at the two safe college hitters that the Mariners took Evan White and Kyle Lewis. And we don't say his name. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is funny how that works out, right? Like you think, Oh, it's the safe two guys and they, neither of them are going to contribute to anything. But, um, yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. I think that's why they got into the business of of taking high school kids with that with starting with that Harry Ford draft. But I think they've also just gotten good at it, and they're like, "Hey, this is this is working out for us. Let's let's stick to what we know best." And they they got like I said, Harry Ford, Edwin Arroyo, both those guys. Not only one of them is still with the Mariners organization, but both those guys are somewhere like top thirty prospects. Um, Cole Young has been doing very well, so it's mm-hmm. just like, hey, if you've got this formula figured out, and I. You know, this is speculation, but I have to imagine that if you take a high school kid, you have much more control over their health, over their performance. So that was a point I was going to make. Like, wouldn't you rather have a kid for those three years than rather some random college coach who's going to run them into the ground (laughs) trying their job? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, the College World Series is awesome, but you have like starters going every third day and throwing 160 pitches. So it's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Fall off. yeah, that's not going to happen in Arkansas, you know, or or, yeah. or Modesto or whoever. So, yeah, it's interesting, and and uh, we'll see what pans out there. But obviously, we'll talk about that. Uh, you didn't watch the Derby; you were busy and working. It was cool. I mean, Julio did not win the Derby, but he won the Derby. He got Kevin Durant to tweet about him: forty-one home runs in a round. Looked like had just had it down to a science with uh, with uh-huh. his with his pitcher friend Pena and uh, electrified baseball and the T-Bubble Park crowd for that one round. And uh, that's, hey, that's cool, man. Like, no one cares if you actually won it. Yeah, I and like, there was, I know there was takes floating around, like, why did he do that? He should have just conserved his energy and whatever. But like, well, the format is stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Also, it's the home run derby. Like, just put on a show. It doesn't matter if you win the thing or not. Just like, go out there and put on a show. And that's what he did. And, uh, uh, it was very fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the format is a little stupid. It should just be, let's cut the field in half every single round so that you don't have this pressure to to beat your opponent. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it could use some work, but I think it's it's designed for TV and not for actual competitive reasons. So, yeah, which is fine. Honestly, design it for entertainment because that's all it is. It's not, yeah. no one cares, you know? Yeah, no one should care, but they pretend to. Let's talk about this first half of the Mariners season. Uh, we're on a little break. They will resume play on Friday against the Detroit Tigers, starting a 10-game homestand. And uh, the question here is, how do you feel about this season? And and my framing of this, and I'll let you get into it, is that basically this team has reconstructed the two outlooks on the bus meme. <laughs> like, yes. it, it is right in the middle with how you want to yeah. look at this team. Well, uh, am I starting? Sure. Yeah. I mean, which, okay, which direction so there, do you lead? 
there's the uh, if you want to do the meme there's the guy who's like happy and he's looking out the window and all of that and he's saying okay look texas is struggling they're not playing as well as they are houston loki you can call it whatever you want but they are they are falling apart vulnerable a bit. vulnerable yeah they're vulnerable uh the mariners just passed the angels who are again the wheels are coming off that bus too and they're looking at you know being three games back of the wild card six games back of a struggling texas and the best baseball is still ostensibly in front of them like they we have not seen their best baseball. we probably saw a version of what is close to their best baseball over the last week and a half before the all-star break but ostensibly there's all the room in the world to go out in the second half and and make the playoffs and make your run and do all of that that is the I mean, and it's not a bad take. It's certainly certainly all there for them. I'll make I'll make some more points in that direction before okay. we go to the uh, the pessimistic view here. The Mariners are statistically a good team. They are eighth in Pythagorean <laughs> win loss. They have um, 19 games against the Royals, A's, Tigers, and White Sox, who are the four worst teams in the AL. Uh, plus four games against the Troutless Angels. So that's 23 very, very winnable games on top of the other games. And, you know, you put that together and you might get this done. Obviously, there's room to grow at the trade deadline. You have to bet on Julio Rodriguez turning it around um, and the power coming for him. The pitching staff has been incredible, which you have to imagine the Mariners in any combination of their five starters have an advantage in this in at least two of every three games that they're going to go up against somebody. Um, and I think they have the fourth worst schedule, fourth easiest schedule left overall. So like there, there is, there's a path here and you can see how yeah. this turn turns out. And Texas has a extremely tough schedule headed forward. So yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, this is still an incredibly underwhelming offense that you went like we saw it again in the Houston game that they lost that that's just a, another bases loaded no out situation that they can't score a run in that's two in the last two weeks that uh, you get those done and the season is looking a little bit different they are also 22 and 31 in games against plus 500 teams doesn't bode well um, but then again you don't really have to play that many 500 teams or more going down the stretch and for the Mariners to get to 90 wins, which is probably the barometer to make the playoffs, they have to go 45 and 28 the rest of the season, which is a 100 win pace. So that's a lot. And not to mention Brian Wu, Bryce Miller might. I was hit, okay. So hit, I was, hit that was and get point. shut down. That was the point that I was going to make that scares me the most about the end of the season is Brian Wu's probably got what six to eight starts left in him, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's got six to eight starts left. Bryce six to eight starts maybe maybe you can squeeze 10 more starts out of Bryce but that gets you to 50 games because every fifth day Mm -hmm. that's that's still not even close so so you're going to be patching a lot of these games together with Tommy Malone probably you're going to see Emerson Hancock which who knows what even that's going to look like um if he's not gone at the deadline that is um it's going to be patchwork and who knows what's happening with Marco last we heard he still has not thrown. So, I mean, realistically, Marco's done for the year. I th- I think I, I don't have any hard evidence to bat back that up, but it just, it feels like he's done for the year. Um, and that probably honestly puts a bow on his career in Seattle. I, I think, you know, he has the player option next year, but he'll, he'll exercise it, but I don't think the Mariners are going to, 
they're not going to run him out there. They're just not. Um, so anyway, that's off topic, but you just touched on Bryce Miller or Bryce Miller and Brian Wu. And that is probably the main concern is that the rotation is, is getting pretty thin towards the end of the year with those guys having their in, in, innings limits. Yeah. Which is, which is scary because that's the best thing that this team has going for it. And so if the offense does not turn it around and become a top 10 offense in baseball, like consistently, it's it's you can't ask this this pitching staff to hold up any better than it already has, especially given that no. the like you just said the pieces are going to come um, off. I mean, they might get creative, like they they might you know George Kirby was on the playoff roster last year, but in a similar situation. So yeah. who knows how they engineer it? But they're well aware of this problem. So my verdict here is: ask me after the first thirteen games of the second half, because it's a ten game homestand against Detroit, Minnesota, and Toronto, and a three game trip to Minnesota. The, the Mariners yeah, should be able to win. Tough. It is. It's sneaky tough. There's no, yeah. there's no cakewalks in there, but the Mariners should be able to beat if they're, if they're a good team, they yes. should be able to beat all win all of those series. So yeah, and, realistically, they should definitely beat Detroit and Minnesota. The Blue Jays are going to be tough, but like you said, if they're a good team, they need to win that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then prove it against Minnesota on the road. So if you yeah. sweep any of those series, then we've really got something. So that's, that's my verdict is like right now we're squarely in the, in the middle of this. Um, but, but as you just mentioned with the, the shut, the impending shutdowns of Wu and Miller, that even if we get through this stretch 10 and three, you know, you're going to lose some, some pieces of the arsenal as the season goes on. Yeah. But that, I like, I like your 13 game stretch take because let's say they go, I don't know. Let's say they just do fantastic and they go nine and four. Like, how good are you feeling about that? I mean, you're 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 probably bumping up against Texas for the lead in the standings at that point. If you go nine and four, not bumping up, but you're like a game or two back. Probably. Yeah, you picked up some some steam. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But on the other end, if you go four and nine, I think it's sell at the deadline, right? Uh yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Which it would, you know. I know none of us are rooting for that, but I think that there's something to be said in the, for, for clarity here as you head into July 31st is like pick a lane. Uh, you need to get yeah. out of this, like this middle situation because you're just going to get in a situation where you're not pleasing anybody. If you're making a, a move to sell or move to buy, um, mm-hmm. you know, if it's like, if you're squarely at 500 and you go, you know, try and do a rental player, which I don't think they would do. People would be upset. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you selling? And then the opposite would also be true. So they need to, to figure this out when we're the next in the month of July. Let's talk draft. Um, we're gonna, just going to talk in depth on the first four picks that the Mariners made. So that's uh, Colt Emerson, uh, Ty Pete, Johnny Soprano, uh, sorry, Johnny Farmello, and... <laughs> Ben Williamson uh, are the first four. So you will take Colt Emerson, who went to number 22 overall to uh, to the Mariners, obviously. He gets me confused because his name is a combination in some way of Emerson Hancock and Cole Young. So yes. remembering his name is going to be <laughs> difficult for me. Um. Okay, here's the huge disclaimer when either of us are talking about these kids. They're all in high school except for Williamson. Mm-hmm. Um. And Williamson was kind of just like a, I don't know, I, I'm assuming he's the money saver. Yeah. Um, we did our little draft, we did our draft prep last week, so we don't need to go over all that and how the draft works. But um, Colt Emerson, what we know about him, okay, he played for the U18, um, the U18 USA team. Uh, that, that's against elite competition. Um, he is from a, what you would call kind of 
a Jared Kelnick like state where Jared was from Wisconsin. Colt Emerson is from Ohio. Or, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Those are not, those are not necessarily baseball hotbeds where kids are scouted extremely heavily. So a lot of times those types of kids can fall through the cracks. Jared went sixth. Colt went 22nd. So obviously Jared was a little more highly touted. Um, but what we know about him is that he has, for his age, and again, keep in mind he's an 18-year-old, so this is all for his age, uh, well above average strike zone recognition. He knows how to track the pitches. He has above average to elite, for his age, contact rates, and power that is somewhere middling that, again, with frame projection, I don't know how frame projection works, I'm not a scout, but with frame projection, projection there have been thoughts that he could be a 20 plus home run guy not 30 not 35 but somewhere in that middle tier of home run hitting so pretty solid all-around player but the tool that has the most polish on it at the moment is the hit tool and the um charisma tool it sounds like everybody loves this kid he seems like a uh, one of those you know, gets tagged at the leadership uh, qualities. <laughs> Teachers love him, that kind of kid. So that's that's nice. He has a very similar profile to Cole Young in that he's the high school hitter from the Midwest, um, plays middle in- infield. Uh, he's been described as a lefty David Wright, which certainly is oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, third base or second base in play for him. Um, and he turns 18. Yeah. He turns 18 next week, so he's young for his class also. I should mention all of these guys who – this is a thing about the draft. You're going to see the Mariners or every team draft about five shortstops and five (laughs) center fielders. And you're going to be like, what? Why Don't we need other players? Okay, this is the thing. Even in college, every guy who's the best fielder on their team is playing shortstop no matter what. It's So when you draft five shortstops, keep in mind, most of these guys are moving to either second base or third base or even first base in some cases. So when you see them draft all these shortstops and center fielders, it's it's not necessarily that they're going to, that's where they're going to play. Yep. Perfect segue. I'll talk about Ty Pete now, who went number 30, 30 overall to the Mariners with one of their, this was the, the Julio rookie of the year pick. Am I correct in saying yeah. that? Yeah. No, this was this was that was Johnny Farmello. But they were one pick. With apart. the rookie of the year. Yeah. yeah. And then this was the comp pick. This was the comp pick. Okay. So number 30 overall, lefty shortstop pro- prospect out of Sharpsburg, Georgia, which is southwest of Atlanta. He clocked a 664 60 yard dash, which would translate to a 442 40 yard dash. And if you're familiar with football, 40 yard dashes, that's very fast, except he did it for one and a half times the dis- the distance. So this is a very fast kid. Uh, he is a physical specimen, very muscular kid, which is weird to be talking about a 17 year old this way, but it's just the truth. He turns 18 next month. So he's even younger than Colt Emerson is. Uh, Kylie McDaniel of ESPN said he could be anything, which, you know, that's fun. It's like, he could be a stand up comic. He could be, yeah. he could run for Senate. You know, there's a lot of potential here with Ty could be a construction worker. <laughs> yeah, man. There's, that's a noble profession. He could learn a trade. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like you said earlier, he's also a regarded pitching prospect, but it does seem that it would be hard to imagine the Mariners spoiling this level of athleticism as just a guy on the mound. Um, if the two-way thing was a possibility, I think we would have heard by now. I, I think this is a guy who plays is a position player. He is a Georgia Tech commit, um, which is interesting to note, and that you know the, the signability issue is there. But for all intents and purposes, I think the, the Mariners are in good shape to sign him from everything I've heard. And based of all, Phil, he has a YouTube channel, and the tagline of it is 
I hit and throw baseball. That's what it says. So I hit Arca- and throw baseball. Baseball singular. Wow. So our kind of our kind of kid, yeah. <laughs> I peed him. Well, I don't. Okay, again, all the usual caveats. The kid's seventeen years old. Who knows? He could be anything, and that's honestly a very good statement. When yeah. I saw this, okay, this is actually one thing. I'm glad I wanted to segue onto this with the baseball draft because there you see I I want to help our listeners get a little more educated when they read stuff right like you're and this is something that's a pet peeve of mine you see so often these uh scouting tweets and again i don't blame the scouts because they're confined to the the medium that they're on and you have to be concise on twitter but a lot of times they will put like look at these elite exit velocities that this guy is posting right okay, he's already hitting the ball 110, 112, whatever. But you have to understand those numbers in context. Is the guy hitting the ball 110, 112, 114 miles an hour and also running a massive whiff rate and a massive chase rate? Or is he hitting the ball 110, 112, 114 miles an hour and staying disciplined and and making good contact, at good contact clip percentage? Because if the guy's just swinging out of his shoes and that's where the eye scouting comes in, too. If the guy's just swinging out of his shoes and posting 112 mile an hour exit velocities, that's a lot less impressive than a guy who's posting 102, 103, but with a very disciplined and very forthright swing. Now, the one thing I see about Ty Pete is his swing does look what I would call violent. I compared him to you to a left handed Javi Baez almost, where the mm. swing is just, the swing has a lot of violence to it. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it seems like it needs some refinement. Yeah, um, and that's to be expected to a degree with a guy who, as I said, is is 17 and 11 months old. So who knows? Mm-hmm. And it might be a while before we hear more about Ty P, but the framework is there for a very intriguing player. Johnny Formello, tell us about this young man from Virginia. So the carrying trait with Formello is double plus speed. Um, mm-hmm. That's what the, the deal on him is. Um, left-handed, and, tall. And, and uh, mob connections. Yes. I love the name. I love all three of the first round names. Johnny Farmello, Colt Emerson, and Ty Pete. All good names. Very good names. Yeah. And then the money saver, Williamson. Like, that's a good <laughs> Yeah. Um, but anyway. He'll be the best uh, of all of them. That's just how this will go. Um, Farmello, double plus speed. He's a center fielder. He, unlike most center fielders that are drafted, is actually going to stay in center field just based off of you know the athleticism the length scouts like his ability to read the ball off the bat all of that it looks like he will be a long-term center fielder and then up the piece up the middle piece which is very good i've seen a lot of body comparisons and it's so weird we're talking about bodies of like high schoolers but whatever um i've seen a lot of body comparisons to someone like christian yelich right who's kind of lanky has like a lot of length to him but still is able to use those long levers to drive the ball for power um right now again he is more of a hit tool than he is of power he's more of a double sitter gap to gap rather than over the fence but again with a frame that big and that projectable you'd expect in the mariners weight program and the weight regimen and all of that to start driving that ball over the fence instead of into the gaps and that's kind of the the deal on him. Yeah, he that's that was my note. He's fast and he hits, and and so th- three lefties, um, three lefty high school hitting prospects in the first three picks for the Mariners. There, twenty two, twenty nine, and thirty. 
And then I'll take Ben Williamson, who the Mariners took number 57 overall. He's 23, was out of William and Mary, which is definitely not a baseball powerhouse. Um, this is the, you did a great job breaking down the overslot, underslot. If you're going to try and convince a bunch of high school players to not go to college, you are going to need to pay them a little bit more. And you're going to need one of these guys to uh, take the underslot value to, um, to supplement that. So that will most likely be Ben Williamson's fate. But anyways, he was the third baseman, hit 12 dongs, stole 14 bases at William and Mary last year, went undrafted coming out his junior year. Then he got bigger and dominated the Colonial Athletic Association or whatever it is, and then was tearing up the Cape League before the Mariners drafted him. Uh, it's a pretty cool story for him going from undrafted to top 60 pick in just a year. He runs a really high contact rate, which is what we were kind of looking for in some of the prospects that we named last week. Nolan Shanuel, who went number 11 to the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, was named for that reason for us. And this is kind of a similar profile for Williamson. So if you liked Shanuel, think of Williamson as maybe like a budget version of him. Um, could also play shortstop um, as well, but with his athleticism, but seems frame-wise to be a third baseman. Um, ben Williamson. Yeah, there. I, don't, I want to make it clear. I don't don't think he's a bad player or anything like that i just think he's drafted probably higher than what his true talent trajectory would suggest if that makes sense and again there's one more interesting kid that was worth mentioning in the draft another high school hitter uh best prep college or best prep hitter out of the state of texas which is a baseball hotbed that's a fourth round pick aiden smith uh we finally got into the age where kids named aiden are now making it to the major leagues. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I had Aiden's in my classroom and yeah, it's it's we're there. Uh what 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 else is coming here? Like the 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 Parker, the Preston, the yeah that those like <laughs> the live laugh love kids I think are, are the next yeah generation. like you know all those like Etsy um like <laughs> little funny sayings or whatever all the kids named after that. The the kids who have pictures of them like on those those like baby blankets with like I'm two months old today like yes (laughs) yes exactly those kids are going to be hitting donks in front of our very eyes very soon (laughs) well this is what one of his coaches had to say about him every single day I watch him do things that I've never seen anybody else do and this is a coach I played and coached a lot of high level players he just hits the balls in ways that no one else does there's pitches that are made that would get almost anybody out they don't get them out and this is not some random like backwater coach this coach is like the coach of a very prestigious like preparatory academy so you said who it was, knows? You, said, you said it was Jim Leland <laughs> he'd be smoking a cigar while he was saying it remember Imagine. when Jim Leland used to smoke cigarettes in the dugout that was sick Incredible. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we lived in a different world <laughs> with cigarettes than we do now. Although cigs seem to be making a comeback, which is, which is interesting. And, and uh, we'll, we'll get your thoughts on that next week. Uh, We're going to have, have about... the first manager who vapes in the dugout eventually. What do you feel about that? Well, we had Mike, Mike McDaniel of the dolphins uh, allegedly maybe vaping on the sideline uh, <laughs> last year. So we're, we're almost oh. there. Do you want to talk about Teddy McGraw really quick? Yeah, that's an interesting player. Um, He's had two. Okay, there's like back and forth about this guy. We're not sure. We know for sure he's had one Tommy John surgery. He's had a second elbow surgery, but there's debate over whether that was related to the first one or if that was a second Tommy John because Mm -hmm. and, and this does matter quite a bit because the the comeback recovery rate for guys who have had one Tommy John surgery is very good. It's like the 90% of guys come back throwing as hard or harder and, and very good. 
the prognosis for guys who have had two Tommy John surgeries gets a lot more murky. It gets a lot less good. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I don't, again, we haven't gotten a clear indication uh, about what what's going on health-wise with him. We do know he's rehabbing that that injury, whatever it was. But there was talk. Uh, there was a pitcher for Wake Forest named Rhett Lauder, who was drafted, I think, 10th overall, maybe somewhere in that range. Very, very good pitcher for Wake Forest, um, Rhett Lauder. But there was talk coming into the season that Rhett Lauder was not even the best pitcher on that Wake Forest team, and it was actually Teddy McGraw. Um, obviously, he had some injury that, we're again, we're not sure if it was Tommy John or was not Tommy John or what it was. Um, but he had some injury that sidelined him for the entirety of the season, and now he is on his way back. But there is obviously a lot to be excited about there as well. Yeah, crazy upside and uh, a similar story to Brian Wu in, in that this stuff was there, but it just he didn't have a lot of film in college because of the injuries he was dealing with. So we will see <laughs> on Teddy McGraw. Another great name, though. Like, damn. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we're going to – that was wasn't like that hardcore, but we're going to end this with um, – well, not end this, but this next section will be a little less hardcore. And we're going to talk about – um, a man who is not a Mariner per se, but is uh, interwoven into the fabric of Mariner's Twitter and Mariner's information. That is Alex Meyer, maybe Mayor. Mm. I think it, I think it's Mayor, actually. At Alex Mayor 34 on Twitter, he works in the Mariner's um, information department. He is um, he is as good as at his job as Shohei Otani is as good at his. Yeah, he is the Shohei Otani of Twitter facts. <laughs> this man is a sick freak, I think is the best way to describe him. Like this, the stuff he pulls out is absolutely incredible. A lot of it makes its way onto the Mariners broadcast that you see um, and their, their Mariners PR account. These are like the, the wholesome family stats of like, um, you know, uh, Mike Ford is hitting 462 with Mariners own scoring position. Like those, those stats that are like, you know, PG. On Twitter, Alex Mayer has some just absolutely insane stuff. And I will give you my top five most sick and twisted Alex Mayer tweets of the first half of the season. This okay. actually, I love you know, that. This actually includes all of, of uh, 2023. So since, since January 2023, the first one, January 26th, the Mariners hit four home runs from players who wear consecutive uniform numbers. Number 26, Adam Frazier, 27, Jesse Winker, 28, Eugenio Suarez, 29, Cal Raleigh, on July 13th, 2022. The Seattle Kraken scored four goals from players who wear consecutive uniform numbers. Jared McCann, I don't know who Tolvanen is, Wenberg, and Bjorkstrand tonight. That's sick. Like the, 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 so to, this, this is the tweet. This, this is the tweet that put him on the map in terms of like a national perspective or as national as he's gotten. But like this, I remember clearly this was the tweet where people started to realize this guy's a sicko. Because he, it's not like, oh yeah, you know, the Mariners aren't playing. You can turn it off. He had, he yeah. had, he had the the four consecutive numbers tweet from the year before with those guys. But then his sick mind sees that it's happening with the Kraken in, I think, a playoff game. And no, not a playoff game, just a normal regular season game. Uh, but and and turns it on then. So this this is what it's like. Okay, this guy doesn't turn his brain off ever. So that's number yeah. five. Number four, April fourth, list of Mariners with animal names to Homer. AJ Pollock tonight, Jake Lamb, August 27th, 2022, John Buck, 2014, Mike Carp, 
18 homers from 2009 to 2012, and Butch Husky had 15, Butch Husky, maybe. 15 in 1999. So this, he was this, my favorite guy. Butch Husky was my favorite guy in Ken Griffey Jr. baseball on Nintendo. This man, like this, this stat doesn't it doesn't mean anything. It's just it's just a flex that he can do. Really, sick. I don't know how he did this, um, but that's number four on the list. Number three, this is the one that actually inspired this this list for me because this is the most recent one. This was on July sixth. Is JP... it Portugal? <laughs> no, that's coming though. Oh, okay. JP Crawford homering at Minute Maid Park, five hundred one Crawford Street, Houston, Texas, makes him the only MLB player this season to homer in a ballpark whose street name matches the player's last name. Like, well, okay, so I don't know how he verifies that though. <laughs> like, I want to see him verify that. Like, because what if there is. Like what? If, I don't know. Like this is this is my idea. I would love to get Alex Mayer on a podcast and mm-hmm. provide him with a prompt and have him query this and figure yes. it out live because this is the insight that nobody nobody knows how he does it or what he does to to verify. But I would love to hear him talk through this or even retrospectively talk through uh, some of these that he's been able to produce. But the so Crawford- wait, Crawford Crawford homered on to Crawford Street. Correct. What stadium was that at? In Houston. In Houston? That's the the Crawford boxes. Oh, the Crawford boxes. Okay, I see, I see, I see. Yeah. So, yeah, twisted. Number two, June 24th of this year. Mike Ford and J.P. Crawford are the first Mariners to homer in the same game with one player's last name fitting inside the other since Al Martin and Edgar Martinez homered on August 18th, 2000. Al Martin, Edgar Martinez, and that's Mariners players only. Yes, with the name fitting inside of each other. Like, that's that's another one. How do you verify that? Yeah, how how does he? I want to see what the query is in his database. Like, what does he search for? I know he's on it. Like, I I have no reason to question that. But it's just like I don't know how you can rule out these things from happening. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that time that it happened. This other time, that's impressive enough. But to have the yeah. like, this is the only other time. And then number one, you you already talked about this. Ty France facing JP France on May sixth. The first batter pitcher matchup whose last names are the same country since Kevin Jordan faced Ricardo Jordan on September 10th, 1997. It's wait, that wasn't even the one I was talking about. Oh, there was there was the Portugal one. There was the Isaiah Campbell one with Portugal. <laughs> yes. Like where he was the first player from Portugal since like 1878 or something like that. Yeah, that that one's like I didn't I that was on my almost receiving votes or others receiving votes category because it's like that is interesting like oh he's from portugal yeah. you'd think of that but like some of these it's like why are you thinking of this yeah no but the jordan one is good the jordan one is way better <laughs> yeah so just just an incredibly talented young man doing great work and uh he's he and they come out of nowhere too these the, the mayor bombs they're they're not like a regularly scheduled thing it's just like when he has something good enough or sick enough he puts it out there do you think he's on to the bit now that people are oh, like hundred yeah. percent? Yeah, he he has he has learned that his weirdness is embraced by by ma- the masses and and he <laughs> just lets his freak flag fly now. Okay, I like that. I want him to get weirder and weirder. Yeah, keep it going, Alex. Um, okay, so we're gonna end this with uh, three rotaries and three hydros each for this first half. Let's start with the rotaries. Who would you like to bestow yours upon? Um, I want to bestow my first one, and this one's topical on all-star related injuries. Uh, there were two of them this mm-hmm. week, which sucks. It's just it's not good. 
it sucks for the teams. Jordan Romano and uh, Luis Robert both suffered injuries. We're not sure how serious yet, but uh, Luis Robert in the home run derby and Jordan Romano pitching during the All-Star game. It's just, it's not fun, especially because if they're in the All-Star game, by virtue of that, they're probably one of your best players. So, yeah, it's it's a little scary. I mean, like Craig Kimball was in there last night in the bottom of the ninth or yeah, bottom of the ninth throwing like 30 pitches and Charlie... (laughs) Rob Johnson is is his manager and was, you know, fine with it with the Phillies. It's like, why, what is the point of this? Just just like go out there and throw them yourselves to, to, to save your, your pitcher there. But um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fact of life. My first one for this season goes to the extra innings and wheelhouse podcasts, two podcasts that supply us with lots of content and lots of uh, information and entertainment, extra innings with Ryan Divish and, uh, Larry Stone of the Seattle Times and the Wheelhouse with Jerry Depoto, Aaron Goldsmith, and Gary Hill. Extra innings, their last episode that they published, April 3rd. The Wheelhouse has five episodes all season, which is about their normal clip. But like together, that's just not enough. Maryland. And like, what are you gonna do? Make us listen to our own podcast here? Like that's I know. I'm never doing that. So I need I need other sources of Mariners. We need material, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's that's been disappointing. I'm sure there's good reasons for it for it, um, including the Seattle Times being too cheap to pay Divish and Stone for their work on that podcast, which is a whole other can of worms. Uh, but yeah, God, I miss those. Me too. Number two for you. Um, the number two is gonna be the this is two guys, but it's in one, I guess. It's gonna be because they're a package deal as far as I'm concerned. So, Col- so two guys, one rotary, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, exactly. There's Colton Wong and AJ Pollock, because by and large, these were the these are the guys you point to as the kind of the off-season additions, right? Those are like the two marquee names, I guess you could say. Obviously, uh, besides well, Teoscar. You could say Teoscar Hernandez, but those are yeah. the two guys that kind of like, you know, they were big pieces that were coming in. And collectively, they are hitting sub 200 with, I believe, one home run combined. No, two. No. no. Pollock has how many? Pollock has, I think, five. And Wong has, has one. Uh, and Colton Wong has one. I remember that one so well. It was against <laughs> Baltimore, right? Uh, Or the Yankees? I think it was in Yankee Stadium. It was, it was on that road trip. I know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. AG, AG Pollock has how many home runs? Yep, five. Okay. Well, either way, they are horrible. Uh, they're a bad tandem and it's just it's just not been good i mean if you got even league average production out of those two you're looking at a much better team i'm going to add my second rotary which goes to tommy Lastella, because mm. uh, if we're going to talk about the the veterans that the mariners brought in this offseason that sucked he certainly belongs in that uh that category and not even him as much like he was bad and we all knew he'd be bad but that's the kind of the point we all knew he was going to be bad and the Mariners still trotted him out there anyways, as like this, this uh, um, solution for their offense. And so it was a joke to begin with and it ended up bearing out to be exactly that. So Tommy LaStella, the Tommy LaStella era of Seattle Mariners baseball in this season um, was, was awful. So it is funny. You mentioned Tommy LaStella because my third rotary club is roster flexibility and <laughs> this actually goes hand in hand with tommy Lastella, sort of not really um <laughs> but it, it kind of does i guess um for a long time we've heard the same things from the front office that you know 
we don't want a dedicated DH because, you know, you have one guy clogging up a whole position who can't go out and pinch run. He can't go out and play the field if you need him to pinch hit. It's just, it's not a smart construction of roster. It's not a good use of roster space, whatever. We've heard that same argument the whole time. And that's why Jerry Depoto went into the season seemingly comfortable with the fact that we did not have a dedicated DH. Watching Mike Ford for the last two, three, four weeks has made me despise the notion of not having a DH. I just, I love watching a guy who knows how to hit baseballs. That game against Houston, notwithstanding, where he had a terrible at bat in the eighth inning with the bases loaded, but yeah. Um, yeah, seems preferable to me, man, to have a guy who can mash, you know, yeah. it's like roster flexibility that, that matters if you're choosing, if you have a deep bench and you're choosing between actual major league players, but if it's like the guy who can hit versus guys who can't, but they can play other positions, it just doesn't work. You know, it, it's yeah. like, that, that, that's not the scenario that that applies to. Agreed. Yeah. That's, that's, um, and, and that was the worst part of the Tommy Lucella thing is that you can't tell us that he is a has roster flexibility or positional flexibility when this guy can't move he can't yeah, throw you're only flexible if you actually deserve to be on a 26 man roster otherwise you are just taking up a piece of uh, a spot too you're only flexible if you can touch your toes which i'm not sure that tommy lastella <laughs> could do uh with the mariners so that was that was bad my last rotary club goes to matt brash haters not matt brash Matt Brash haters because they were loud and vocal in the middle of the Mariners first half here, uh, calling him a mental midget or whatever the Mariners Twitter mafia was calling him. He's a FIP of 1.86. Yeah. Third in baseball among relievers with, in terms of K nine, uh, 15 and a half strikeouts per nine innings, which is incredible behind Felix Bautista and Roldis Chapman, both of whom who have a much higher walk rate than, uh, that Brash does. He's also running a BABIP of 450 which would be the highest among qualified relievers since guess Phil guess, guess the, the last time a qualified reliever had more than a, a higher BABIP than night than, uh, than 450. It's gotta be like the thirties, like the dead ball era. <laughs> 1946 was the first time. Okay. Could see it happen. Yeah. It's crazy. And the fact, yeah. and he's, and that's why his, his expected numbers are so good. It's because, and, and despite his year, his ERA is back down to like the threes. So he has, he has brought everything back down. No, Brash has been amazing. Anyone who doesn't think that is just wrong. Like that's, and that again, that is where I think analytics has, has won hearts and minds. Like Matt Brash would be getting a lot more heat from everyone if it hadn't been for like, Hey, look, we know this guy's getting pretty unlucky and, and he will. He will turn it around. Yeah, and he has, and and that back into the Mariners bullpen appears to be um, insane as it has been the last couple of years. For now, we don't know what's to come. Yeah, we don't know what's to come for sure. Um, well, there's there's no way Matt Brash moves back to the rotation, right? Does not this year? No, I don't. I don't think they. I don't think. I think he's. I think he's in the bullpen. I think that's his thing. I think that was the deal from the the start start of the year going forward. Yeah. Um, Hydros of the first half, we get three each as well. Who do you got? Okay, first one I have. Oh my god! I why, why did I just? I can go with you. Look for yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go JP, for it. I have them written down. JP Crawford. How many years in a row, Phil, did we say the same thing about JP heading into the season? Which was if if he just hits the ball harder and gets it off the ground, this could be a really good player. Like three three years mm-hmm. in a row, we did this, including this year. Well, this year he is uh, up three point two. 
uh, miles per hour from his average exit velo, which is or from his previous career high of exit average exit velo. He's his highest launch angle as a Mariner, so he's actually driving the ball, hitting it over the infield. His X slugging percentage is the highest it's ever been as a Mariner. His hard hit percentage is the highest it's ever been in his career. Eight homers at the break is one off of his career high for an entire season. And the walk rate has been the highest, is the highest it's ever been. His WRC plus is by far the highest it's ever been. And he is hitting every pitch group harder than he has ever hit it in his career. So JP, um, we've said this about him before where it's, it's looked good and then it's tailed off towards the end of the season. So I do have to have that caveat, but what a first half, but it's a a different profile now than it was before. It's like demonstrably a different profile. And it's, and I mean, I think a lot of the credit goes to driveline obviously, because he worked hard over the summer there or not the summer over the winter there. And, yeah, he's he's been I mean, he's on pace to be a four and a half win player, which is just insane. It's yeah. just a great, great player. And and his uh, his defensive metrics are really not good, which, which is like, no. which is weird because you see him and you kind of expect great defense. But if you think about it, you're like, yeah, I, mean, I guess maybe. But um, who knows? Maybe it's just really hard to be a shortstop. You, OK, you, can I go? Yes. OK, uh, first one. Cal Raleigh's leadership oh. is uh, is a hydro for me. Um, you know, throughout the course of the season, when the team has been playing bad, there's one guy consistently who gives quotes that I kind of have come to appreciate. And that's Cal Raleigh. Uh, you know, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, oh, you know, the long season, blah, 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 blah. He said, we're bad. We're playing bad baseball. We're not particularly good right now. We will turn it around. I I've come to appreciate him as kind of the unquestioned leader of the team. I mean, every iteration of a Mariners team since time immemorial has had a leader. It looks to me like Cal Raleigh is stepping in as the, you know, it was the last iteration was the Marco Gonzalez, Mitch Hanniger, Kyle Seeger, Posse. Before that, it was kind of. That's, that's the, a good, that's a good word for those three. Yeah. It was the Nelson Cruz, Robinson Cano group. The, and then before that, even it was, you know, Felix. Felix. Yeah. 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 So this, this iteration of the Mariners looks like Cal Raleigh is poised to become the unquestioned leader of the team. Yeah. And I'm, great... I'm excited about that. It's a great point. I would throw J.P. Crawford in that mix as well, mm-hmm. although maybe not it may, more vocal, but less vocal in 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 that same way uh, as as Cal Raleigh. Um, mm-hmm. Jose Caballero is is one of mine. Yeah. I could stack stack cast him and Fangraphs him to death and tell you all everything about his statistical profile, but kind of similar to what you just described with Cal Raleigh and the intangibles here, um, he has just been an incredible jolt of life into this team. The consistency, the fire. Um, his defense and base running are legitimately incredible. The, the the bat is just fine. Getting him on base is is all that needs to happen. Um, he pisses other teams off, which is awesome. And I I shudder to think what the season would have been without him. And we had just had to watch Colton Wong um, every single day. And there wouldn't have been any other opt-out other than him. And so Caballero has made the season fun and actually provided real value. That would have been tough. That would have been extremely tough to watch Colton Wong like 300 at bats so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shall I go with my second one? Please. Uh, I feel like we don't talk about this enough, but the fact that Brian uh, Wu and Bryce Miller are doing what they're doing is not being recognized. Like both of these guys are top 20 pitchers in baseball this year, and they are both fourth and sixth round picks who have not even been in the minors for that long. It is remarkable it is 
borderline unprecedented to be getting this type of production out of these types of players. Uh, so Max Wiener, who was the minor league pitching coordinator, has accepted a job in the college ranks, which will be a big blow to the organization because I think he was partially responsible for this. Again, I use the word unprecedented. It pretty much is unprecedented level of success in developing starting pitching. I have the rotation as my third hydro in this for, and a large part of it is that um, this season we've seen that being Brian Wu, Bryce Miller. This season we saw the Mariners lose Robbie Ray right off the start. Marco Gonzalez um, lost shortly thereafter. Chris Flexen was an absolute tire fire. And so rookies Miller and Wu had a combined who had a combined 115 innings in double a. That was the, that was all they had have now made 20% of the team's starts. And so given that, you would expect the rotation to, to take a step back. But no, the rotation is fourth in Major League Baseball in innings pitched, despite playing two less games than most teams. First in walk rate, the good kind of first, by yeah. a mile, and third in war. All five starters, Piedra, Kirby, Gilbert, Miller, Wu, are top 42 in the American League in war among starting pitchers. And I just need you to think about that. There are 150 starting pitchers in the American League, or that's not true. No, 15 times five. So there's 75 starting pitchers yeah, in the American but League. Yeah, still, yeah. And, and the Mariners, all of them are, all five of our starters are top half of the league. Top half numbers. of that. It's incredible. It's remarkable. And all five are top 25 in walk rate and uh, among starting pitchers. So like the, the organizational philosophy on the pitching side has been followed to a T and it is working. And that part is super cool. So if you think about that, what you're saying essentially is every single pitcher, I know, you know, uh, we don't really use this terminology anymore, but like one, two, and three, you know, he always your ace, he's your second starter, he's your third starter, he's your fourth, he's your fifth. Every starter would be at the worst a second or a mid-tier second, high-tier third. Yeah, like, no, no worse than a third starter no worse on any team. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible. So, it's remarkable, yeah. Yeah, so that that part is awesome, and I just hope the offense can round itself out because, and who knows what's going to happen with Miller and Wu, but um, they got we got something special there. Okay, last one for me. Then you got to go. Yep, last one is going to be the ballpark experience. So last year, I don't know if you you obviously you live in Philadelphia, you lived in Boston last year. You don't make it out to too many games at T-Mobile Park. You do make it to some. Last year, it was pretty tough with, um, I don't know if it was a combination of the labor shortage or it was just getting back from COVID or all of that kind of stuff. It was horrible. The lines were very long. It was just tough. But seems like T-Mobile has hired and reinvested into good people. The ushers are really nice now. I know the ushers have always caught a lot of flack because they've done some some things in the past that maybe mm, I'm yes. so good. It seems like every time I go now, the ushers are all very sweet, very nice. Like the lines are moving efficiently. You're not waiting forever at the, at the, um, at the concession stands, which is super important now with the pitch clock and all of that, that things go more, are more expedited. So big shout out. I've noticed a, a, a big uptick and improvement in the ballpark concessions and just general staff. I can't wait to experience it at a game early August with you. Oh, you won't uh, have to worry about waiting in line for concessions. <laughs> that's true. That's a that's a different uh, different section of the ballpark. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. We are squarely in the middle of the good outlook, bad outlook bus ride, but we'll talk about it next week with uh, leading one one direction or the other. I'm sure, depending on how the Mariners play yeah. this weekend. But uh, good to Very catch much. up, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. 
All right, take care. Peace. One more thing for you, buddy. See ya!